Well, uh, this morning, I want to start off with a thing. And this is something that I've heard somebody else say, and I think it's so true. And this is, this is not a religious thing. So if you're not a religious person or if you're not a Christian person, you'll, you'll love this because it's not a church thing. It's not a religious thing. It's just a thing thing. And I think we'll all hear this and we'll go, yeah, that's really, really true. And the thing I want to share with you is this. It is human nature to resist things we can't control or we don't understand. I mean, right? I mean, every single one of us, we have a worldview, we have a framework, we have beliefs, we have philosophy, theology, we have an upbringing, right? And when that is challenged, if it's ever challenged or if we're ever told that you're wrong, your way of thinking is wrong, you're doing it wrong... That is a tough pill to swallow. I mean, nobody likes to hear that. As a matter of fact, it, many times it feels and threatening when we hear somebody say that. I mean, think about it. I mean, this explains all of those fights that you had with your parents when you were a teenager or a young adult. You remember what I'm talking about? Remember when you would come home with a new idea or a new thought or a new political affiliation or a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or a new tattoo or a new thing you were doing, a new job, and you're parents looked at you like you had just taken a stupid pill, right? I, they thought, I thought you would never, I, you know, they say things like, I, I didn't raise my son to, to be one of those, you know what I mean? And he's usually talking about politics, right? Or I didn't think my daughter would ever date somebody like that, you know, or I can't believe I thought I raised you better. Did anybody's parents ever look at him and be like, I thought I ra- stop looking at your mother, Adam. I see exactly what you're doing. Okay. But we've all been in those moments. I mean, for me, my mom, I remember my, my mom looked at me and she was like, son, you're breaking my heart. And that was after the third tattoo that I got. And, you know, just recently she's seen the angry tiger on my forearm. And she goes, so what does that represent? All your other ones have these special meanings and things for you. She goes, what is that? I said, that's the way you look at me when you see my tattoos. And so I thought I would, the 15th tattoo I got would just represent you, mom. Anyway. But it also explains, now some of you are parents, right? And it explains some of the conversations that you have with your kids. Because sometimes your kid comes home and they learn something new on the bus. Or they saw something on YouTube. Or they saw something on TikTok. And you're going, why I oughta, you know what I mean? And why is that? It's because it's human nature. It's human nature to resist things we can't control or we don't understand. More on that in just a second. But today we are wrapping up a series entitled Compass. Now, I say that that way because the entire series, I have said Compass. And then a Wednesday morning, I'm still in bed at 7 a.m. And I get a text message from Christy Fuentes. Are you available to talk? I really need to talk to you. So the pastor phone is ringing. And because I'm such a good pastor, even when I'm in bed, I will pick up the phone. And she goes, are you available? Yes, I am. Can I call you? Yes, you can call me, Christy. And I pick up the phone. Christy, what do you need? You have mispronounced compass the entire series. Will you please stop? It is not compass. It is compass. So... As we finish the series today, pronounced compass. Are you happy now? 
please make a donation in the offering later. We are finishing up this series because you all know what a compass does. A compass. Now I sound like that lady from that one show who can't fold the cheese in. Anyway, uh, you all know what a compass is, right? It's a tool to help you navigate and know which direction you're going, right? And we believe as Christians that this Bible, this Bible is, is not a map. It's not a roadmap. It doesn't tell us where to turn left and where to turn right, but it's like a compass. It, it helps us know which direction we need to go. It helps us answer some of life's questions. It helps us make decisions. It helps us be wise. And so we believe that the Bible is like a compass. And so we've talked about in this series, here's a little catch up for you. We talked about week one. We talked about how God is in this. We broke down the Bible, how the Bible was put together, why the Old Testament, why the New Testament, how, how these letters were written, where they come from. We talked about how it was put together and, and when it was printed. And we talked about how the foundation of our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. It's not in the Bible. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, there would have been no Bible. Because game over after Jesus died. But when they saw their Lord and Savior alive, that's when they put their faith. And that's why this exists. But so why is it even important? Because God is in this. This points us to God's will. It points us to find things out about him. And then we talked about context, right? Context helps us understand what we're reading. So many times people flip through there and they point to one verse. They're in the middle of the story. They don't know why it was written, who it was written to. They don't know what it was said before, what, it, what was said after. They pull promises out that were never intended to them. And then all of a sudden we start to lose our faith because then if we, if we pull a promise, like let's say out of the Old Testament, out of context and we claim it for ourselves and then God doesn't come through for us like we thought he was going to because he didn't plan to because that was for somebody else well then we lose our faith then we walk away from our faith and we're confused and we don't understand this so to understand this better to be able to navigate through life we have to understand the context of everything that is written in here and then last week we talked about how everything points to jesus jesus is true north if this is truly a compass then we need to look to jesus because jesus is the explanation of what God is actually like. You can look in the Old Testament and you can get an idea of what God is like, but Jesus himself even trumped some of the things that are said and some of the things that are commanded in the Old Testament. Jesus is true north. And he, he says himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we need to go through here looking for Jesus to better understand who God is. But today, I want to talk about as you navigate through this. As you look to, for Jesus, as you understand context, what happens when you find something that you don't agree with? What, what happens when you find something that, that challenges your worldview or your framework? You know, I, a lot of times our generation, you know, every, everybody likes YouTube, TikTok, Reddit. And, you know, all of those apps and things, there's an algorithm. You know, those algorithms, they're there to learn who you are, what you like, who you like to hear it from. And they send those things to you. I mean, depending on your political affiliation, your philosophy, your upbringing, where you live, they, they send certain videos and certain channels your direction because they know it's what you agree with. And a lot of times we'll go through YouTube and we'll go looking for answers. We'll go looking for things we want to see, things we want to hear. Same thing with Reddit. Same thing with TikTok. And so many times I think we approach the Bible the same way we do YouTube. The same way we do Reddit or, or TikTok. We go in here and we're looking for something we want to hear. We're looking for how to feel better. How to be happier. We're looking for answers. We're looking for motivation. And sometimes we find that. 
But then also, sometimes we don't. And then other times, we find something that challenges our framework, challenges our way of living, challenges our point of view. And when we go through that, it is sometimes difficult. Why? Well, because it's human nature. It's human nature to resist things we can't control or we don't understand. So what if you are going through scripture or you're in the middle of something and, and, and you see something that, that doesn't agree with your fr- framework, that, that, that challenges your life? Let me, let me tell you, ask you something. What if as you search through this and you're looking for Jesus, you find out you need to stop something that you've done your entire life? What if you find out you need to give up something? What, what if as you learn about what it means to be a person of integrity, a person, a person of character, a person of love in the way that Jesus was, you learn, oh man, I, you know, I'm not patient. I'm not kind. I, I'm kind of prideful. I, I keep record of wrongs. What if you find out that you think you're a generous person and it turns out you're not actually a generous person? What, what, what if you think you're, you're something or you're doing something right and this challenges your framework or your, your beliefs and all of a sudden you're left with this decision of what to do? L- let, me, let me tell you something. If it hasn't happened to you, it will you know, I know we got a lot of people because we're a church for people who don't like church. We have a lot of people who are coming back to church, who are in church for the very first time. And look, a lot of times it's all sunshine and rainbows. But then every once in a while, you're going to find something that challenges what feels right to you. That challenges your upbringing, challenges your framework. Look, at some point in time, you guys are very, very kind to me. But at some point in time, I'm going to warn you right now, I'm going to preach a message and it's going to tick you off. You're going to, amen. See, somebody said it. Only amen we'll get today, all right? Somebody, at some point, I'm going to say something and you're going to pull out your phone. You're going to get on Facebook. You're like, I am not listening to this guy. This is, I am done with this. You're going to get in your car. You're going to bad mouth me so bad. Whoever you drove with, you're going to look at them and be like, can you believe he said that? He told me I'm supposed to forgive my sister-in-law. He doesn't even know what my sister-in-law did. I mean, this guy, this, you know, that's it. We, we shouldn't come for the rest of the series. This is what he's going to talk about for the next five weeks. Let's just come back when it's something we want to hear. I mean, if it hasn't happened to you already, apparently somebody it has, then it's going to happen. And it's going to pull you. It's going to make you emotional. It's going to get you frustrated. You know why? Because it's human nature to resist things we can't control or we don't understand. But, but here's the thing I want you to realize, and, and this is something that we all should have been told at an early age, but some of us, we didn't grow in a context that ever told us this, right? I mean, a lot of us, we grew up in a church context or a religious context that we go to church for us, right? I go to church or I go to the word and I'm here for something I need to do. And I mean, it's even the church is guilty of this. It's set up this way. Hey, come on in here. Get what you need. We're here for you. Hey, go ahead. Go, go into this little booth and get, get your oil changed and get serviced and do your thing. And then they smack you on the rear end and tell you to get it back out there and keep trying. Right. And it's all about you. What do you need from God? Do you need to be blessed? Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need to be healed? I mean, it's like going to Jiffy Lube sometimes. And so here. 
here's the thing. I get that. Some of us, that's your context. That's what you grew up with. But what we should have understood, the whole reason that this was put together, the whole reason this was protected, the whole reason this was handed down generation by generation to generation, isn't so that we could go to it and be re- get, get our validation or what we need out of it. The thing is, is when we go to the Word, when we go to God, when we gather here together and we hear from the Lord... We are here for one thing, and it's summed up in a word. We're here to surrender. I'm not here to validate my way of life, my thinking. I'm not here just to get what I need and to get out and to try again. I'm here to surrender, to surrender my life to his way of life. To surrender my worldview, to to surrender my way of thinking. Because isn't that why we're all here? I mean, shoot, if it was going so well doing it the way we do it all the time, we wouldn't need to be here. If we could do this on our own, if we could do this by our own strength, if we could do this by our own understanding, we wouldn't need to be here. But the truth is, is we all, we're all here. Why? Because as much integrity as may, we may have, as much character as we may have, as much common sense as we may have, we've all tried to do it our own way or by our own strength. And it's only gotten us so far. Still inside of us, there's a little bit of, of emptiness. There's something missing. There's dots that need to be connected. There's things that we, we just can't figure out on our own. And we're looking for something. And when we find that. When we find that. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it, it goes against what we were brought up with. What we were taught. What we heard. What we've believed. What we've experienced. And the decision that's left in our hands. Is what we're going to do with it. Are we going to surrender? Or are we going to just keep trying to do it? Our own way. See, the only way that this makes your life better and makes you better at life is if when we come to it, we have to view God as God is. Go to that next slide for me, Christy. We have to view God as God is and not as we imagine God to be. This isn't about me bringing my view of God. This isn't me bringing my thoughts and my opinions. This is me searching for the truth. To be revealed to me is show me who he actually is. Show me what he's really like. This is exactly like a a conversation that the disciples and, and Jesus had. There was one point in time where Jesus was being Jesus. He was speaking, but he was kind of speaking in riddles. He wasn't being very clear and he was kind of getting very frustrated. And Philip, one of the disciples, he finally stood up and he kind of just yells at Jesus. I mean, they're sitting and he just gets up and he goes, show me the father. Like he's frustrated. He just kind of screams it at Jesus. Just, just show me the father. Like he just, he wants to know, show me who God is. Show me what God is like. Show me who God likes. Just, just tell us already. Stop speaking in riddles. And Jesus, he kind of like, you know, whoa, hey, easy, back off. Hey, calm down, sit down, Philip. It's all good. And he looks at him and he says to Philip, he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He, he looks at him and goes, what are, you, what are you talking about? Right here. I am the explanation of what God is like. You don't need to look any further. <clears throat> and here's the thing. What the disciples learned really, really quickly is that they had a hard time following Jesus because Jesus was nothing like them, but also nothing like what they thought God was like. 
And they started to understand that, oh my goodness, I mean, we thought we knew it all because we knew the Jewish history. We knew the 613 laws. We knew all these stories. We had put all of our eggs in this basket. But then it turns out there's so much more required of us to follow Jesus. There's so much more required of us to be in, in, in line with God's will for my life. And, and they really, really struggled with that. And it was so hard for them to understand. Sometimes it, it flew right over their head. For instance, there was a story that Luke wrote in his investigation. And it was a time when they were, they were headed to the cross. And Jesus gave them the full spoiler alert story. Jesus wanted them to know exactly what was going to happen so that they could respond to it the correct way. And Jesus looks right at the disciples on their way, on their way to the cross. And this is what he says to them. He says, he took the 12 aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Now, again, he's reciting the Old Testament, right? He's reciting everything that they already knew. He goes, hey, everything that the prophet said, Micah, Isaiah, everything, it's all about to come true. You've heard this story. You grew up with this story. It's all about to be fulfilled right in front of your very eyes. And then he says this next. He says, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. So he says, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be ridiculed and mistreated and mocked. But have no fear. It's going to end in my death. But exactly three days later, I will rise again. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but a little bit of common sense here. Okay? If you ever have a leader or a rabbi or whomever, and you're with them, and you're like, hey, spoiler alert. Just want to let you know what's going to happen over the next uh, 24 hours. I'm going to be taken, beat up, put in prison, mocked killed, but have no fear. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. If you told me that I would look at you and go, yeah, I'm out. I'm going to go home now, right? Because if you're telling me you're about to be mocked and beat up and stuff, I don't want to get wrapped up in that and also get beaten, mocked, thrown in jail, possibly killed. Good for you. You're going to raise three days later. I think I'll stay dead is the problem. Okay. So if that's where things are headed, count me out. Uh, but call me. I look forward to talking to you in a few days. Right. I mean, that is the natural response of any normal human being. But they looked at Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus. I mean, they're idiots. They have no clue. Flew right over their head. They're just like, okay, whatever, whatever you say, Jesus. Right. And here's what Luke tells us. And again, this is coming right out of the mouths of Matthew, Peter, and John. They sat down with Luke, and he's like, so what happened? He's like, dude, it was the craziest thing in the world. He told us exactly what was going to happen. And it flew right over our heads. We have the perspective now to understand it, but it flew right over our heads. And what they told Luke, what Luke wrote down is this. He said, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was even talking about. See, here's what's crazy. They, it's not that Jesus's message was unintelligible, right? It's not that it was complicated. It was pretty black and white. It was right there. But the thing is, is that they had preconceived ideas of what the messianic savior would be like. They had preconceived ideas of what the, 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 the prophets were talking about. And so when Jesus goes, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be flogged. I, I'm going to be killed. They looked at Jesus and they said, sure you are. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, d- he doesn't even know what he's talking about. No, that's not what's going to happen because our king is a warrior king and he's going to get in there and he's going to slay everybody and he's going to th- overthrow the empire and we're going to get the government back and we're going to get our land back and it's going to be awesome. So just, just sit tight. He has no clue what he's talking about. 
And because of their preconceived ideas of what they thought based on their background and their history and their experiences, they could not hear and they could not see because they thought they knew. Here's what's incredible. These men and women were right there feet away from Jesus for three and a half years. For three and a half years, they ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, slept with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, cried with Jesus. They were right there and still they missed it. Still, they misunderstood who Jesus was and therefore they understood what God was like. After the resurrection, they finally start to grab hold of it. They still start to understand it. But then, even then, for the next 20 years, they would debate and they would argue over tradition and what to do with the Gentiles and if they were truly supposed to embrace everybody and love everybody, even though Jesus told them, by this, people will know you are mine, how you love one another. But they fought and they debated and they wrestled with one another. And it wouldn't even be for another 20 years after Jesus's resurrection that Paul would come in and they would finally fully embrace everything that Jesus had taught and commanded. So let's think about this. If the disciples were right there next to Jesus for three and a half years, and even they, with everything they saw, everything they were told, they struggled to get Jesus right. Then that begs us to all ask a very important question. If they got it wrong, then where in my thinking and my doing and in my living might I have it wrong too? See, here's the thing. What this should cause every single one of us to do, if there's any kind of theological smugness on us where we think we've figured out God, where we don't think we have anything to learn, where we know how it is and how things are interpreted and how things are supposed to be. And we know what God would say about this issue. And we know how God would vote. We know how God would do this. You should wipe that smugness off your face. Because if they got it wrong, if they couldn't understand it, then who's to say we always do? I don't come up with a lot of original stuff. I am inspired by all kinds of pastors, authors, preachers and stuff. But there is one thing that was fully me. I thought it up in the shower one day. And I preached a series uh, years ago in the height of uh, uh, political stuff. And, you know, everybody was kind of going crazy and stuff. And and there was one line that that I wrote that is all me. I'm very proud of it. I'm going to share it with you today, okay? But there's a line that we use around here often. And the line is this. I don't know everything about anything. See, every single one of us should wake up in, our, wake up in the morning open-minded and open-handed. Not thinking we have it all figured out. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. There is no such thing as a perfect boss, a perfect leader. There is no such thing as a perfect man or perfect woman. Every single day, I should wake up open-handed and open-minded and think to myself, I don't know everything about anything. I have not figured it all out. I have so much more to learn and to discover and to figure out. And every single one of us, to, to echo the prophet Micah, who said that we should, we, should, we should love mercy and act justly. And then he said this, we should walk humbly with God. Every single one of us should wake up and think to ourselves, I, I don't know everything about anything. I don't have everything figured out. I have so much more to learn and to discover and to understand. And so I'm here for it. 
And I'm going to just walk humbly with God and let God reveal himself to me. Because if we don't, we'll miss him. Like so many people in the New Testament, there were so many people who misunderstood Jesus and they missed out on huge potential, potential game-changing experiences in their life. Take the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I have carried out every single law. All 613, every single one of them in the Old Testament, I have done them perfectly. I am awesome. I have dedicated my life to this. What else could I possibly do? And Jesus looks at him. He's very impressed. Jesus says this to him. He says, you still lack one thing. Tell you what, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. One thing you may not know, context. Again, this invitation This invitation wasn't to be a believer of Jesus. He was literally inviting him to be one of his disciples. He's like, oh, well, you sound like you're uh, on top of your A game. That's pretty cool. I'll tell you what. I think there's one thing left you need to do. Go sell all of your possessions and follow me and we will make you the 13th man on our team. And I mean, imagine, imagine if this man did what Jesus told. Imagine if he went home, sold all his possessions, came back. And Jesus is like, welcome to the team. Here's a jersey. And he was the 13th disciple. I mean, the implications are huge. Number one, we would have known his name because we know all the names of the disciples. But then also, I mean, who knows? He could have wrote a gospel. We could have had five gospels instead of four gospels. I mean, who knows? But you know what actually happened? The man looked at Jesus, put his head down, and he walked home. Jesus looked at him and he said, I tell you what. Boys, it's going to be hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that man went home and he couldn't do it because he couldn't let go of his wealth and his possessions. And consequently, we don't even know his name. He's a guy who had a chance and he misunderstood Jesus and he ended up going home. Or how about there was a Pharisee by the name of Simon who invited Jesus to his house The Pharisees had a really hard time understanding Jesus. There was a Pharisee that invited Jesus to his house to try to figure him out. And all of a sudden, they're having a meal together and there's servants and there's people watching. And all of a sudden, a woman just busts through the kitchen, falls at Jesus' feet. She begins to weep and she's crying and she takes a bottle of perfume. She dumps it at Jesus' feet and then she starts to wash Jesus' feet with the perfume and her tears. And she dries it with her, her hair. She's using her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. And it's this obscene, crazy thing. And Luke, because he's an investigator, apparently this woman, she had a reputation in town. She had some kind of sexual sin and she was known by everybody for her sexual sin. And the Pharisee looks at Jesus and he begins to laugh. And he goes, this man is not a savior. This guy, this is not God on earth. Look at him. This woman, she is a sinful person. She should be condemned. And she's touching his feet. No, my, the Lord would not associate himself with people like that. This, this man, he is not God. And he gets sarcastic and a bit insulting as he talks to Jesus from there on out. And, and Jesus looks at the woman, and, and, and this is what the Pharisee says. The Pharisee who had invited him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. And then he says this next, he says, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus looks at him and goes, do you know what she gets that you don't? She understands me. She understands that I'm here for her. 
And she sees me and she understands me and she, she throws herself to me to worship me. All she has is this perfume and she's, she's literally given me everything that she has because she wants to be known. She wants to have a relationship with me. And then Jesus does the unspeakable and he looks at her. He, he picks her up, tells her she can stop and he looks her in her teary eyes and he says, you're forgiven. Setting her free from all of her guilt and all of her shame and the life that she's lived. And again, this was unheard of because, again, what does the Old Testament text tell us? Well, you can't do that. Nobody can do that. Nobody has the power to do that. But God, you got to go to the temple and you got to do the things and you got to go talk to the priest and you got to jump through the hoops and then you can be forgiven. But Jesus just looks in her eyes and says, you are forgiven. And everybody in the room looks at that and they whisper to one another, who is this who even forgives sins? Translation, who does this guy think he is? This isn't what God is like. And this isn't what God does. Nah, 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 nah. This man, he is not the son of God. He is nothing like the father. There's so many stories of people missing Jesus. So many people, even the disciples, who couldn't see Jesus when he was right in front of them. And here's the thing. If they couldn't see him, who's to say we won't miss him? And I'm guilty of it myself. I'll tell you something. I grew up a pastor's kid. My sister's a pastor. My dad's a former pastor. I'm a pastor. Look, I'll tell you, growing up, when I was a teenager, I thought I had this all figured out, okay? I mean, we're here today for about an hour, hour, 15 minutes. I used to go to Sunday school, and then I'd go to church, and then I was the pastor kid, so I had to go back for second service, and then I'd go to Sunday night service, and then I'd go to Wednesday night service, and then we got Bible study, and then we got Bible quizzing. I mean, if you could get badges with a sash, mine would be full, okay? Very full, very colorful, all right? And I mean, I thought I knew this backwards and forwards. And then I became a pastor. I went to school for this. got a degree for this. But let me tell you something. I look at some of my first sermons in my 20s, and I'm going, you're an idiot. I'm so angry. I was so angry, so stirred up, so after the world. And don't even get me started on social media. I mean, I loved to use social media to stir the pot. I would say things that were my opinion as if they were some kind of matter-of-fact gospel. And I knew they would tick people off. And I didn't care. Because I thought I was fixing the world. And I thought I was straightening people out. And so I would throw things out there like grenades in a room. Knowing that they would go off and they would hurt people. And they would invoke emotions. And I didn't give a rip. And it's embarrassing. Because the New Testament and Jesus was right in front of my eyes and I didn't see it. And I missed it. Missed it so many times because of my pride. And what happened is this. Is my, my personal version of faith enabled me to judge, to ignore, and in some instances mistreat people around me. The thing is, is we don't want to miss Jesus. 
I feel, I feel terrible for that. I'm so much more careful on social media. I'm so much careful about what I say. I mean, I've, because I've, I've found Jesus. And that's the thing for every single one of us. We never want to wake up and find ourselves in that boat where we think we're righteous, when we think we're right, and it turns out we're the enemy. We're the one who's misrepresenting Jesus. None of us want to wake up and find ourselves in that boat. So what do we do when we approach this or we approach the message of God? I want to give you this morning to close a a prayer, a prayer that comes from a story, a prayer for you to pray. And the story is, again, found in Luke, the investigation that, that Luke wrote. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on the way to the most important day of his life. He's nervous about it. I mean, but this is his date with destiny. And this is what it says. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. This man has been blind his, his entire life. And he's there and he's begging. And then all of a sudden he hears a sound. And it says, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's, he's yelling for Jesus. And again, remember, Jesus has got a very big appointment that he's running for. He's on his way to the cross. This is a big deal. So people began to scold the blind man. It says, those who led the way started to rebuke the blind man and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, the people that were rebuking him were probably the disciples. Hey, man, be quiet. He's doing something important for all of mankind. Will you get over yourself? But this story, again, tells us so much about who Jesus is and what God is like. Because you know what Jesus did? Again, Jesus is on his way to his moment with destiny. This is so important. This is such a big deal. He's so emotional about it. But you know what Jesus does? He hears the man. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped for the one. Jesus stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And then it says this. Jesus stopped and brought the man to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him a question. And this question, I believe this question was written down for everyone's sake who is listening. But I also believe that this question was asked out loud for your sake, for my sake. Because Jesus, the question that he asked the man is this. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Let, let me ask you a question. If, if Jesus were in front of you today and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would your response be? Again, some of us, our, our upbringing, our religious minds, the, the way we've experienced, we would be like, oh, well, let me get out my list. Can, can you heal this? Can you bless this? Can you make this better? I've been waiting on this for a really long time. Could you make it shorter? Could, could you do this? Oh, I, I made these decisions and there's these consequences for these decisions. And I don't really want those consequences. Could you wipe that away? Could you figure that out? Could you fix this? I mean, let's be honest. Can you shave off a few pounds? Can you make me a bit taller? Could you do this? Could you do that? I mean, could you service me, God? Jesus asked the man, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? And the man looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I want to see. And he's a blind man, and obviously he physically wants to see. But it meant so much more. And we know that from his response. 
But he looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, I, I just want to see. I want to see you. I want to be able to open my eyes and see you. Let me ask you a very, very honest question. Do you want to see? Do you want to see the truth? Do, do you want to see the reality of what God is like? Do you want to know what the Father is like, who the Father likes, what the Father likes? Do you really honestly want to know the truth? Because what happens if he reveals it to you? What happens if through this you find out that there's something you need to surrender? What if you find out there's something you need to start doing that you haven't been doing? What if there's something you need to do less or worry about less? What if this makes you change your values? What if this makes you change your priorities? What if what he wants and what's his will for your life conflicts with your framework, your way of doing things, your way of believing? What are you going to do? My follow-up question is this. What if it requires you to give something up? What if it requires you to give something up to have what you truly want to have and to be who you truly want to be? What will you do? Jesus says to the man, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And the man can see physically. But what he does next is so vitally important because there's so many people that Jesus healed that they ran home and they got their life back and they started to live their life for themselves. But that's not what this man does. Instead, this man does something completely different. He follows Jesus. And and here's the thing. If If you use this correctly, if you use this correctly, you will eventually see something disturbing. Go to that next slide for me, Christy. If you, if you use this correctly, you will eventually see something disturbing and you have to decide what you are going to do with it. Because when you find it and when you see it, your natural instinct, well, it's human nature. It's human nature to resist things we can't control or we don't understand. But this man, What he chose to do is follow Jesus immediately to the cross. What will you do when you find something that conflicts with your way of doing things? Will you surrender to it or will you be resistant to it? Because here's what I know, because I've experienced it in my life and I've seen it in so many people, others. If you surrender to it, if you truly want to see, God will reveal himself to you and you will see. And if you surrender to it, God will make your life better and make you better at life. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, as we come to you this morning, God, I know that at times we are going to see, witness, and experience something through your word that is going to conflict with my world. And that is hard. We all understand that 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 can be disturbing. That can be difficult. But God, if we truly want to know the truth, if we truly want to know who you are and have you revealed to us, it's going to happen one time or another. 
And God, my, my prayer for every single one of us is when you reveal your truth to us, when you reveal your will for our life, that we have the courage, we have the wisdom to follow you in faith, not knowing how it's going to turn out, not knowing if it's going to work out, but that we would put our trust in you and how you say we should live, how we should be, how, should we tr- how we should treat each other, how we should treat ourselves. God, I pray that we would follow your way and be willing to surrender our way. And God, I pray that as we go through your word, as we hear your voice speak to us, that we would have a better understanding of what it looks like to love God, love others, and to ultimately learn how to love ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, This morning...